السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار أما بعد I'd like to begin by first and foremost freeing myself from the kind words of our brother and he has thoughts of me that are that excel in reality that which I deserve so may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive him for that and I free myself before Allah from much of the praise that he has heaped upon me so today we are here at this masjid masjid of Ahlul Sunnah Masjid of Ahlul Hadith, Ahlul Athar Masjid Abi Huraira Named after the great and noble companion of Allah's Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And the most prolific narrator Of the Hadith of Allah's Messenger Alayhi Salatu Wasallam Today which is the 28th of Safar In the year 1441 After the Hijrah of Allah's Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Here in the in the location of Stoke on Trent in the United Kingdom. The topic of the lecture is entitled The State of the Ummah. And of course this is something that is close to the hearts of every Muslim. The State of the Ummah. It's not that any of us are blind to the reality that the Ummah is in turmoil. But really I think what every Muslim needs to take into account or be aware of is what caused the weakness of the Ummah, what led it to its present weakness and what are the means of rectification. What will bring the Ummah back to what it was in the early generations of Al-Islam, especially in the time of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. So in these times many Muslims can see the Ummah, that it is engrossed in fitan, and turmoil and tribulation. Muslims everywhere suffering, especially when you look at some of the lands in the Middle East, in Africa and elsewhere, right across to the Far East, where Muslim populations are oppressed, their blood is shed, and they, are, and they have no recourse to get out of the difficulties that they are in as far as they can see. Nevertheless, even in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, Muslims encountered difficulties. And their iman was tested. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put them to trial to see which of them is best in iman. And this is of course you know, our creation, the purpose of our creation, Allah created 
life and Allah created death to see which of us is best indeed. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not try a servant except that if that servant is patient and he is upon iman that Allah will give him a good end result. In the time of Allah's Messenger alayhi salatu wassalam when the believers were few in number in Mecca and the Kaaba was surrounded by idols 360 idols in and around the Kaaba itself the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam received revelation for the first time when he was 40 years old in the month of Ramadan and he alayhi salatu wassalam from the receipt and from the moment he received revelation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put him upon a path for the next 23 years calling to the deen of Allah calling to al-Islam, calling to tawheed, calling to the worship calling to every path that would lead them to Jannah and calling them away from anything that would lead to their own destruction he was sent to the whole of mankind alayhi salatu wassalam to the Arab and the non-Arab to mankind and to jinn and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala completed the revelation at his hands such that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in the farewell hajj al-yawma akmaltu lakum deenakum wa atmamtu alaykum ni'mati wa raditu lakum al-islam deena that this day I have perfected for you your religion completed my favor upon you and I am pleased with Islam as your religion so the religion was perfected. The state of Medina had been established. Islam had spread to the whole of the Arabian Peninsula. Such that even the Roman Empire, the Eastern Byzantine Empire, that they had heard of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The cops of Egypt, the Christians of Egypt, was sending gifts to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. From them was Maria radiallahu anha whom the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam took and from her came his son who later passed away. Islam had spread all the way into Yemen and into Abyssinia such that the king of Abyssinia, the Negus, the Najashi entered into Islam the king of Abyssinia was a Muslim in the time of Allah's messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam and then when he died Jibreel alayhi salam informed the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam that the Najashi is dead so the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam prayed janazah over him in his absence in Medina Islam had spread to Bahrain such that the jizya would arrive to him from Bahrain. Messengers were sent by the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam into Persia, modern day Iran, to call the people to Islam. Within a hundred years of the passing of Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the Muslims were already in Spain within a hundred years 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had spread through those Muslims, through those believers, through the Sahaba radiallahu anhum and those who followed them from the successors, the tabi'een that Allah spread Islam through da'wah through the message of Islam and through victory of war right from the east of this world to the west of it right into the heart of Europe such that the Muslims had reached by the 15th century the doors of Vienna and just south of Paris this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given to the Muslims but as these events were taking place the Muslims at the same time that they had begun to divide and split into sects and groups and factions each of them calling to its own deviation so even though the Muslims were expanding their borders that internally that they were becoming fractious and they were becoming factions and sects and this was seen within the Muslim lands the weakness was beginning to take root right from the third and fourth century of Islam going back to that which I began with that the Sahaba radiallahu anhum that they were few in number don't consider what we are considering today the billion or so Muslims in the world the Sahaba were no more than a handful when the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam began to call the people of Mecca to Tawheed so when he started calling them no sooner had he started and he had started to condemn the idols and idolatry and idol worship and the acts of polytheism and calling upon other than Allah the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam alongside calling to Allah was calling for the abolition of polytheism and polytheistic practices so no sooner had he done that and the companions radiallahu anhum who were along with him were upon that the oppression it began they were tortured they were beaten they were imprisoned some of them were killed women and men like Sumayya radiallahu anha the first woman or the first Muslim to be killed in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when she was tortured and eventually killed by Abu Jahl by forcing a spear into her private parts because she would not give up her worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then the oppression continued firstly amongst the weak from amongst the believers like Bilal bin Rabah and Khabbab ibn Arat and the family of Yasir and others that it began with their oppression beating them, torturing them such that towards the latter part of the, of the Meccan period because the Meccan period was 13 years followed by the Madani period or the Medinan period which lasted 10 years 23 years in total was his messengership sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that by the time that Khadija radiallahu anha had passed away and then after her shortly after her Abu Talib he was a mushrik but he defended him and his tribe because he was from the tribe of Banu Hashim Rasulullah 
alayhi salatu wassalam, he was from the tribe of Banu Hashim. And from the heads of Banu Hashim, the head of Banu Hashim was Abu Talib, his uncle, his paternal uncle, the brother of his father. He protected him and he would not allow anyone to come near Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam or to harm him. So Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam was protected by Allah's permission through this mushrik, Abu Talib, through this kafir Abu Talib. And Abu Talib treated the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam well. And he loved his nephew. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam likewise, that he, that he loved him. He loved his uncle because it was his family. He raised him. So the Prophet wasallam, after the death of Abu Talib and during that period of time that he was boycotted. In fact, all of the Muslims were boycotted. The women who were married to the Muslims that they were, that they were forced to separate from their husbands. No one was allowed to trade with them. So they suffered and they went hungry. So whilst they were in that state Khabbab ibn Arat he said shakawna ila rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wasallam he said whilst we were in that state of oppression and hardship that we complained to Allah's messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam of the persecution whilst the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was sitting in the shade of the Kaaba and he was leaning upon his burda upon his cloak so we said to him, O Messenger of Allah, will you not seek from Allah aid for us? Will you not call upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us? So the Prophet replied, Among the nations that came before you, a man will be brought. And he will be placed inside of a ditch that was dug for him. Then a saw would be put over his head and his body would be sawn into two pieces. Yet, that would not cause him to leave his religion. And his body will be combed with iron combs such that his flesh and his veins would be stripped from his body, leaving just the skeleton. Yet that would not cause him to abandon his religion. Then he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, by Allah, he said, by Allah, that Allah will establish this affair, meaning that Allah will establish and, and this religion will prevail up until a man will travel from Sana'a to Hadramaut, two places in Yemen. And he will not fear, لا يخاف إلا الله أو الذعب أو الذعب على غنمه That he will not fear except for Allah and the wolf upon his sheep. ولكنكم تستعجلون However, you are a people who are hasty. So the Prophet ﷺ informed his companions, look at what those who came before you suffered. Bodies being sawn into two pieces because of their Islam. Their skin being torn. Or their flesh being torn from their bones because of their Islam. 
And yet they would not leave their religion. They would be burned alive in pits and they would not leave their religion. So Allah will establish this religion, He's telling the Sahaba. Because that was isolated, what they were suffering was isolated to Mecca. Where idolatry was rampant. But the Messenger of Allah is saying to them, Don't worry about Mecca. Not only will you have Mecca, rather you'll even have Yemen. Such that a man will travel from Sana'a to Hadramaut and he will not fear except for Allah and the wolf upon his sheep. So Islam will be established that, that, at that time when the Messenger of Allah said what he said. Yemen was in the hands of Ahlul Kitab, the people of the book, the Yahud and the Nasara, under the Christians. So the Messenger of Allah is saying, you are few in number, yes. You are oppressed, yes. But upon you is to have sabr and to hold steadfastly to iman and worship Allah alone. And then not only will Mecca be a place of ease and tranquility and safety for you, even Yemen, the land of the Christians, will be a place where you'll not fear except for Allah and the wolf upon your sheep. This hadith reported by Imam al-Bukhari in his Sahih. So this was a period wherein Allah tried the believers and they listened to what Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam said and they remained patient and they persevered upon the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They continued to shun idolatry and they followed their Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam wherever he went and whatever he commanded them to do they followed him alayhi salatu wassalam and they never disobeyed him thereafter Medina was opened up for the believers a group of people came to the messenger of Allah and they embraced Islam then they returned back the following Hajj and more of them embraced Islam and they gave him the pledge of allegiance and then the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was commanded by Allah to migrate to Medina. And Medina was opened up for the believers. Why? Because when they began in Mecca, they understood the hardship. When the Messenger of Allah reminded them of those who had suffered before them, then they bore that with patience, knowing that they are not the only believers in history that had suffered. Before them people suffered. Before them people were tortured and beaten and cut into two pieces and burned in fires. And they remained steadfast. So you Sahaba must remain steadfast. So they did so and Allah opened up Medina for them. So after Medina was opened, then the enemies attacked them. And they came upon them to wipe out Islam. And then again the Sahaba radiallahu anhum were patient. And Allah gave them victory against the mushrikeen, battle after battle. And Medina was protected and he was never conquered. Walillahi alhamd. Due to the iman that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had placed into the hearts of those men and those women. Then came the conquest of Mecca. Then the whole of the Arabian Peninsula and beyond. 
So Allah blessed them with safety and blessings that they could not enumerate. To which history, my brothers and sisters, now is not the time to go into that. But history bears witness to the blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had bestowed upon the Muslims. The oppression that they suffered was replaced with justice. People, even if they were not Muslim, were given their due rights. Even the kuffar, the mushrikeen, and other than them, Ahlul Kitab, they were given their rights. Animals were given their rights. Women were given their rights. Children were given their rights. The elderly were given their rights. The poor were given their rights. The slaves were given their rights. Nothing was left. And justice spread throughout the land in the time of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. And in particular in the time of the Khulafa al-Rashidin. And in the time of Muawiyah radiallahu anhum. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promised them paradise. And he promised them paradise because of the fact that they were believers with true iman upon righteous actions. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said regarding them radiyallahu anhum wa radu'an wa adda lahum jannatin tajri tahtiha al-anhar khalidina fiha abada thalika al-fawzu al-azim Allah said that about the Sahaba. That Allah is well pleased with them as they are well pleased with Him. And Allah has prepared for them gardens under which rivers flow in paradise to dwell therein forever. And that is the supreme success. For whom? For the Sahaba. And those who follow them precisely. So this honorific reward was given to the Sahaba radiallahu anhum for what purpose? Except that they followed the Messenger of Allah and they believed in Him and they aided Him in His hour of need. When the people wanted to kill Him, they defended Him. When the people called against Him, they called to Him. When the people tried to harm Him, they felt the harm. When He suffered, they suffered with him. These Sahaba radiallahu anhum were given bounty after bounty, victory after victory. After the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam passed away, after delivering the revelation and teaching the people the haqq, that we revealed upon you the dhikr, ya Rasulullah, so that you may clarify to the people that which has been revealed to them. So he explained to them the Qur'an, clarified to them their ibadah, explained to them the mu'amalat that they are to deal with each other with, explained to them every affair that would bring them closer to Allah. He informed them of events that hadn't taken place. He informed them of the Dajjal that would appear upon the earth for 40 days and how they are to deal with him and what to do when he appears. He informed them of that tribe or those tribes that will come out before the hour Al-Ya'ajuj wa Ma'ajuj He informed them about the return of Isa ibn Maryam He informed them of every affair that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had revealed to them They remembered it, they preserved it and then they taught it to those who came after them This is Sahaba radiallahu anhum So after the death of Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam 
the Sahaba remained united upon the Aqidah. They un- remained united upon the Sunnah. They remained united upon the Manhaj or the methodology. Upon the principles of the Sunnah, they were steadfast. Upon the truth, they would not compromise. This is Sahaba radiallahu anhum. They did not fear the blame of the blamers. And they stood firm against those who entered into the religion only to corrupt its purity. So there were people who would enter into Islam. Some of them Arab, some of them non-Arab. From the various lands. Some of them entered and they brought with them their ideologies and their doctrines that were alien to Islam. Others entered into Islam with nifaq, with hypocrisy. Because they knew that Islam was a fortress that could not be conquered. When they looked upon Islam, what they saw was a huge castle, a fortress. How do you beat it? They had no way. So then a group entered into the fold of Islam with hypocrisy. They knew that you cannot fight them by coming against the Muslims head on. So let us infiltrate them and destroy them from inside. Start the corruption within the ranks of the Muslims. So along came the Khawarij and the Shia and the Qadariya and the Jabriya and the Jahmiya and the Murji'a and all of these sects they came, individuals from each of them, Ghilan ibn Abi Ghilan, Abdullah ibn Saba'a, Abdullah, uh, others from amongst them, from the Khawarij, Dhul Khawaisira in the time of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Jahm bin Safwan, Jad ibn Dihm, Wasil bin Ata. Not all of them kuffar, but all of them entering into Islam and trying to pollute Islam from within. If you can destroy the aqidah of these individuals, this was the idea. If we can destroy the aqidah and the belief and the iman of these people, then the fortress will crumble. So they entered the Shia, the Khawarij, the Jahmiya, the Mu'tazila, that they entered into Islam and they spread their ideologies. The Sahaba radiallahu anhum, whilst they were alive, they stood firm. So the Sahab, they stood firm against the Khawarij, those who declared the rulers to be kuffar and the Muslims to be kuffar and they raised the sword against the Ummah. They stood firm against the Shia who made Ali radiallahu anhu divine and they made him an object of worship. They stood firm against the Qadariyah who denied the pre-decree of Allah and they made the Creator two creators, a creator of good and a creator of evil. They said that we create our own actions. The Qadariya. They stood firm against the Murji'ah. And that was right at the end of the time of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. So that era amongst the Sahaba, even though the ideological attack came against Islam, those men stood because they had seen worse. And they remained united. And they did not move those Sahaba radiallahu anhum. And their aqidah remained united. That's why the Sahaba radiallahu anhum did not differ in aqidah. And they did not differ in the sunnah. They did not differ in the manhaj. 
Sahaba were united. Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, the four Khulafa. After them, Muawiyah bin Abi Sufyan, united upon the truth. The rest of the Sahaba who were under them. Abu Huraira, Abdullah ibn Umar, Abdullah ibn Abbas. Another them, them from the Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas. They were with these Sahaba radiallahu anhum. That's why it is not to be said about any single Sahabi that he innovated into the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So towards the end of the time of the Sahaba, the deviations they began. They came a people who innovated into the deen of Allah. And they disobeyed Allah. And they disobeyed the Messenger of Allah because alongside innovations come sins. When the shaitan misguides the people, he misguides the people with innovation and with sin. For a person who is not following the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, then how is he going to obey him? So with their deviations, the sins crept into the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The Muslim ummah faced humiliation at the hands of their enemies. The more innovations crept in, the more deviations crept in, the more the pristine message of the Quran and the Sunnah became corrupted, the more the gates were open or the floodgates were open to the enemies to attack the Muslims. Abdullah ibn Umar narrated that Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, إِذَا تَبَايَعْتُمْ بِالْعِينَ وَأَخَذْتُمْ أَذْنَابُ الْبَقَرِ When you partake in usury, riba. Ina is a form of riba. And you hold on to the tails of cattle. وَرَدِيتُمْ بِالزَّرَعِ And you become satisfied with cultivation. وَتَرَكْتُمُ الْجِهَادِ And you abandon jihad in the path of Allah. سَلَّطَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكُمْ ذُلَّةِ Then Allah will send down His humiliation upon you. لَا يَنْزِعُهُ حَتَّى تَرْجِعُوا إِلَى دِينِكُمْ And Allah will not remove his humiliation up until you return back to your religion. So here the Messenger of Allah mentioned what would occur. The hadith, by the way, reported by Abu Dawood. That the disease here are those oppositions to the sunnah and to the obedience of Allah. You partake in usury. What do you expect? More blessings? You become satisfied with cultivation and holding on to the tails of cattle, meaning dunya. You abandon jihad in the path of Allah, and we'll come to jihad in a moment. Then Allah's humiliation. Whose humiliation? When you commit these sins, whose humiliation will come upon you? The Yahud, the Nasara, the Hindus, the Buddhists, the Sikhs. Who's in, who's a, Who's humiliation? Humiliation from Allah. Allah's humiliation will come down upon you. And Allah will not remove his humiliation up until you return back to your religion. Up until you return back to your deen. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, alongside mentioning the problems that will occur and the sickness that will come, he also gave the cure. Up until you return back to your religion. So the cure to the problem 
is a return back to the religion. What is the religion that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came with? It is the kitab and the sunnah. It is as if he's saying sallallahu alayhi wa sallam return back to the book and the sunnah. Then the humiliation will stop. Likewise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned this also in the Quran and in, which, which is indicative of the fact or indicates the fact that a return back meaning that we change ourselves and we return back to the kitab and the sunnah then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will change our condition inna allaha la yughayyiru ma bi qawmin hatta yughayyiru ma bi anfusihim that indeed Allah will not change the condition of a people up until they change that which is within themselves so if the people a qawm a nation a ummah want something good to come to them what do they have to do they have to change what is in their souls what they themselves do it must change more of the same will not change the ummah rather you must change what is within yourselves just like those sahaba when they came to rasulullah khabbab ibn arat radiyallahu anhu and he said ya rasulullah will you not ask allah for aid will you not make dua to allah that's what he said. So the Messenger of Allah informed them of a people, believers who came before them, who suffered, who died in the cause of Allah because they were tortured and they were beaten, but they would not leave Islam. So then he informed them that you are musta'ajilun, that you are hasty. So then they understood what the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa was telling them, that they are to be patient. And they are to worship Allah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will change their condition. Inna Allah la yughayiru ma bi qawmin hatta yughayiru ma bi anfusihim. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not change the condition of a qawm. You want your nation to change. You want those Muslim countries to change. Then how do they change? Marching in the streets? Raising placards? cordoning off roads and squares in Egypt or Tunisia or Libya or Algeria or Morocco or wherever else that they are coming out onto the streets is this where the cure is? you want to change a people? Allah does not change a people up until they change what is within themselves this is not the means of rectification marching in the streets and demonstrating burning effigies and flags this is not how you change a nation. This is not how you change the ummah. Because if that was the means of change, Messenger of Allah would have preceded you in it. And the Sahaba would have preceded you in it. When they came to the Messenger of Allah, saying to him, Ya Rasulullah, will you not seek Allah's aid for us? Did he say to them, go and march in the streets? Go and burn the idols? Go and burn the effigies? Go and burn flags? Go and destroy the property of other people? Never did he say that, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Muslims were in a state of weakness as they are in a state of weakness today. So when they're in a state of weakness, what do they do? Copy the kuffar? Well, let's take a bit of Marxism and a bit of communism, a bit of socialism, a bit of Western liberal thought. Put it all together and let's see what we come up with. Maybe we can change our country. Because that's what they're doing right now. 
And what benefit have they brought the Muslims in the last decade? Look at Iraq, look at Syria, look at Egypt, look at Tunisia, look at Libya. What benefit have they brought? Look at Yemen. All of this what? A, conco a concoction of ideologies and philosophies that came together believing that they would change their nations and make them better. What betterment have they brought? More death, more killing, more suffering, more oppression. No schooling for the children, no hospitals for the sick. A person can't travel from one place to another without the fear of highway robbery or killing or rape or murder. Imagine in a Muslim country you cannot travel from one city to another in Yemen. You can't try. And Rasulullah, what did he say? This religion will prevail up until a man will travel from Sana'a to Hadramaut. And not fear except for Allah and the wolf upon his sheep. What about today? Who can travel those distances today? In Yemen or in Iraq or in Syria. So what has their so-called rectification brought? The rectification of the Khawarij. And the rectification of Ikhwan al-Muslimin. So-called rectification. What has it brought them? What has it brought them in Palestine? From 1948 till today, what have they gained? Gained nothing, if anything, they've lost more and more land. And then they want to do more of the same. When you know that this is not working, why are you doing more of the same? Isn't it about time that they looked at the Qur'an and the Sunnah? Is it not about time that they looked at the statements of Allah's Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and look to see what will bring rectification? And it is not the ideologies of the Western philosophers or the Marxists or the socialists or the liberals of the West this is, not, this is not where you're going to find the solution for the problems of the Muslims. And this humiliation that the Muslims are suffering is further heightened. When the enjoining of the good and forbidding of the evil comes into play. And I'll explain what I mean. A Salafi, a man of Sunnah, a man of Hadith, informs the people about Tawheed informs the people about following the, following the hadith of Allah's Messenger وسلم, praying as the Prophet prayed, fasting as the Prophet fasted, understanding Tawheed, learning the Aqeedah. They say, Ya Akhi, what are you talking about? The Ummah's burning and you're talking about concepts that no one cares about. So when the Salafi enjoins the good and forbids the evil, then they are criticized. And they are attacked. And they are belittled. But in reality, this enjoining of the good and forbidding of the evil is the trait of the Mujahideen. It is that which the Prophet ﷺ called to. And it is considered as jihad. There occurs a hadith reported by Imam Muslim. That Allah's Messenger ﷺ, he said, Never was a prophet sent before me by Allah to a nation except that he had among his ummah helpers Hawariyun wa ashab yakhudhuna bi sunnatihi 
So anytime a prophet was sent amongst his people, amongst amongst the um amongst his ummah, Allah would have with him or that he would be given helpers and companions who followed his sunnah and they obeyed his commands. That's where success lies. Then there would come after them people who would say with their tongues that which they would not practice. And they would practice that which they were not commanded through revelation. So then the Prophet wasallam, he said, فَمَنْ جَاهَدَهُمْ بِيَدِهِ فَهُوَ مُؤْمِنٌ So whomsoever makes jihad against them with his hand, then he is a mu'min. وَمَنْ جَاهَدَهُمْ بِلِسَانِهِ فَهُوَ مُؤْمِنٌ And who makes jihad, whomsoever makes jihad against them with his speech, then he is a mu'min. Meaning that those who oppose that which the companions of that prophet would have, came with, or that which they were upon. So we had a prophet who would be sent to his people. He would have helpers, he would have ashab, he would have companions around him. And they would follow that prophet. And they would emulate him. And they would take him as an example. Then there would come generations after them, individuals. Who would do that which they were not commanded to do. And they would say that which they would not practice. So whomsoever makes jihad against them, then he is a mu'min. Whomsoever makes jihad against them with his hand or with his speech, then he is a mu'min. And the Prophet said, وَمَنْ جَاهَدَهُمْ بِقَلْبِهِ فَهُوَ مُؤْمِنَ Whomsoever makes jihad against them with his heart even, he is a mu'min. وَلَيْسَ وَرَاءَ ذَلِكَ مِنَ الْإِيمَانِ حَبَّةُ خَرْدَلْ And there is not beyond that even a mustard seed of iman. So this enjoining, and the good, enjoining of the good and forbidding of the evil. The Sahaba, they had it. How do we know the Sahaba had it? Because they stood up against the Khawarij and the, Jah- and, and the Murji'a and the Qadariya. They stood up against them and they refuted them. Just like Abdullah ibn Umar in the first hadith in Sahih Muslim. When Yahya bin Ya'mar, he came to him with his companion. He said, we met Abdullah ibn Umar and I stood on one side and my companion stood on the other side of him and we told him that in Iraq Ma'bad al-Juhani and those with him that those Qadiriya they have appeared and they have knowledge yet they deny the pre-decree of Allah Abdullah ibn Umar said inform them that I am free of them and they are free of me freed himself because this is the Sahaba when Abdullah ibn Abbas was approached by the people and he was right next to the Zamzam well not far from the Kaaba and he was washing or there was water dripping from his izar and they came to him and they said to him to Abdullah ibn Abbas that the Qadariya have appeared those who deny the pre-decree he said they have appeared he said by Allah if one of them was standing before me now I would put these two fingers in his very eyes so the Sahaba radiallahu anhum they stood up against innovation. The scholars have stated that forbidding the evil with the hand, of course, is for the rulers and those in authority. Forbidding evil with one speech is for those who have knowledge of the Quran, the Sunnah, the ulama, and those who have ilm and the ability. And forbidding evil with the heart is for every Muslim to whom the truth has become clear. 
The forbidding of the heart at the very least necessitates that you stay away from sin and innovation. If people are committing innovations in front of you, don't sit with them. When the signs of Allah are being mocked, don't sit with them. When the sunnah of Allah's messenger وسلم, is being opposed, don't sit with them. They used to hate something with you. You may not have the ability to speak. You may not have the knowledge to speak. But at least you can stay away from sinful gatherings where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is disobeyed and his signs are belittled and the desires are followed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described this trait within the believers when he said, Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas ta'muruna bil ma'roof wa tanhawna anil munkar wa tu'minuna billah. That Allah described a group from this nation that you are the best nation brought forth for mankind. You enjoy what is right and you forbid what is wrong and you believe in Allah. There is a trait of this ummah. Those who followed the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba. This group that enjoins good and it forbids evil. It calls to the return to the way of Allah's Messenger ﷺ knowing full well that victory and success lies and that honor and those bounties that came to the Sahaba they will only come to us if we follow the footsteps of the Sahaba radiallahu anhu. There is no other path that brings us happiness and joy and brings honor and glory to the ummah and victory to the ummah and the removal of oppression except the path of Allah's Messenger sallallahu and his Sahaba. That's why the Prophet sallallahu anytime he talked about the different paths, the factions that go astray, the, the paths that go astray, the Prophet ﷺ always criticized them and rebuked them. Even the hadith of the 73 sects that you are all familiar with. He talked about this ummah dividing into 73 sects. He said all of them are in the hellfire. Illa wahida except for one. Did he praise them? All 72 in the hellfire. Is that praiseworthy? So how can a Muslim stand today and say that they are brothers and we love them and you know they're upon good and they're upon khair? Like this Yasir Qadi. This individual who says, I love the Ikhwanis and I love the Jamaatis and I love the Diobandis and I love the Tablighis and I love all of them. I love the Ash'aris and I love all of them. The Prophet said they're in the hellfire. Are you supposed to love the path that takes you to the hellfire? Are you supposed to love individuals who call others to the hellfire when the Prophet said, Du'at, when he said to Hudayfa ibn Yaman, when he said there will be Du'at ala abwabi Jahannam, there will be callers standing at the gates of Jahannam. What, we're supposed to love the callers who stand at the gates of Jahannam calling the people to come? In the hadith of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, the Prophet ﷺ drew a line in the sand and he said, Hada sabilullah. This is the path of Allah. Then he drew lines to the right and left and he said, Hadihi subulun mutafarriqa. These are divergent paths. Ala kulli sabilin shaitan yad'u At the head of each one of these paths, there is a devil that calls you to it. So what, are we supposed to love those devils that call to those paths? Jumat al-Tabligh. Diobandiya, the Khawarij, Ikhwan al-Muslimin. 
Do they call to the path of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, or are they upon a path of deviation? Or are all of those paths true? Meaning, all of them are upon the haq. When the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Hada sabilullah," he said, "This is this is Allah's path." And all of these paths are divergent paths. At the head of them, there is a devil calling to it. And then he recited the statement of Allah: "Wa anna hada sirati mustaqiman fatabiuhu, wa la tatabiu subat." This is my straight path, Allah mentioned in the Quran. And the Prophet recited it after drawing that line. This is my straight path, so follow it, singular path. It is one path. And do not follow the other paths, he said, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Do not follow the other paths, for they will divert you away from Allah's path. So when these people come, and they claim that they are educated, and they have studied this, and they have attained a doctorate, that they have PhDs. These people stand at the gates of Jahannam, calling you to them. So he loves Jamaat Tabligh, and he loves the Tablighi, and the Diobandi, and the Ikhwani, and the Jamaati, and whoever else that he named. And then he reserves his enmity and his bitter hatred for the Salafis. Accusing Shaykh al-Islam Muhammad bin Abdul Wahab rahimahullah ta'ala of being a takfiri. That he, that he held that he was the only Muslim and other than him everybody else is a mushrik and kafir. Why does a person have to lie to prove his point? Is the haqq not sufficient? Is the truth not enough for a Muslim to survive upon and sustain upon? That you have to invent lies against the a'imma, against the imams. And then declare your unwavering love for Ahlul Bid'ah. Is this how you establish the truth? Is this how the ummah is going to be revived? Is this what the Prophet ﷺ commanded? He said, Kullu He said, all of those sects are in the hellfire. Now if a person comes and he says, well, actually, we don't know what the saved sect is. Then you're accusing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of injustice. That Allah would send you the final messenger with the final revelation, with clarity of the sunnah such that its night is like its day. Yet He didn't tell you truth from falsehood. He didn't tell you the path that will take you to Jannah from the path that will take you to the hellfire. How can you say that it is unknown? It is known. You may be jahil, or you may be ignorant, or pretending to be ignorant. But that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent is clear. The Messenger of Allah said, I have left you upon clear proof, a clear white plain, a clear open white plain. It's night, it's like there's no darkness in it, there's no grayness in it. This is what He left us upon. So, how can a person say and come along and say, Well, yeah, there's 72 sects, but akhi, or 73 sects, yeah, akhi, but. Really, we don't know who they are. So just do what you can do. What do you mean do what you can do? Kitab and sunnah, that's what you're supposed to do. Not what you can do or what you wish to do or what you desire to do or what your hawa says or what your sheikh says or what your group says or what your party says. Kitab, sunnah. This is what Allah has commanded. So a people come along and they say that they don't know which is the saved sect. True, possibly they don't know. 
But to claim that that knowledge is hidden from mankind is to ascribe injustice to Allah. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, was informed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala الْيَوْمَ أَكْمَلْتُ لَكُمْ دِينَكُمْ وَأَتْمَمْتُ عَلَيْكُمْ نِعْمَتِي This day I've perfected for your religion. The religion is perfect. Perfect in what sense? In every sense. The Prophet ﷺ informed the Sahaba, هَذَا سَبِيلُ اللَّهِ This is the straight path of Allah. The Prophet ﷺ, when he informed them about the 73 sects, they said, مَنْ هِيَ تِلْكَ الْفِرْقَةِ Ya Rasulullah, which is this one saved sect? So they asked him. What do the people ask today? The Sahaba radiallahu anhum, they asked the Messenger of Allah, which is this one sect, this firqa, this firqatun najiyah, this saved sect. He said, That which I and my companions are upon today. That's the path that will take you to Jannah. That is the path that is saved from all of the other deviated paths. In a narration, he said, Sallallahu alayhi wasallam, all of them into the hellfire. Except for one, Wahi al Jama'ah. And that is the Jama'ah. And the Jama'ah who? Are the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. And they are the Ghuraba. Just as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said that Islam began as something strange and it will return just as it began as something strange. Fatuba lil Ghuraba. Fatuba lil Ghuraba. So glad tidings upon the strangers. Tuba is a tree in Jannah whose trunk is made out of gold. Meaning that Jannah and the glad tidings of Jannah are for the Ghuraba. So they said to the Prophet ﷺ, Who are the Ghuraba, Ya Rasulullah? Who are these strangers? Islam began as something strange. It will end as something, it will come back as something strange. And it will return as, that, uh, as something strange. Describe them. Who are they, Ya Rasulullah? They are those who rectify the people. Those who are rectify themselves and they rectify the people when the people become corrupted. So when corruption comes about and fasad comes about, they are the rectifiers. nas, when the people that they that they corrupt the affairs, these ghuraba, they rectify. They are the ones who rectify. The Prophet وسلم, he said that they are nuzza min al qabail that they are individuals from every nation. Individual from this one, an individual from that one, an individual from that one, an individual from this household, an individual from that family. And they come together, they are the Ghuraba. So they may be from Somalia, or from Pakistan, or from Britain, or from Ireland, or from Germany, or from Arabia, or from Yemen, or from Morocco, or from Algeria. Individuals who follow the sunnah of Allah's messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And they are the people of hadith. When Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal was asked, who are the saved sect? Who are the firqatun najia? He said, if they are not the people of hadith, ahlul hadith, he said, I don't know who they are. He didn't say they are the mu'tazila, or the jahmiya, or the ash'ariya. Or the Kullabiya, the Kullabiya were around in his time. The Ash'ariya came after. Because Abu Hassan al-Ash'ari came a century close to, he died close to a century after Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal. But the idea that Abu Hassan al-Ash'ari was upon was taken from Abdullah ibn Kullab, who was in the time of Imam Ahmad, and Imam Ahmad declared him to be a Muttadi'. 
So any time, and these sects were present in the time of Imam Ahmed. He didn't mention any of them. He said, if they are not the people of Hadith, I don't know who they are. Meaning it is the followers of the Hadith of the Prophet wasallam. They are the same sect. And they are the Jama'ah. And at the head of them, they are the scholars of Sunnah and Hadith. And this is why this is something that is unique to the Salafiyun. This is something unique to the Salafis. That the Salafis, that they know who their scholars are because their scholars do not change in their methodology and their aqidah and their following of the truth generation after generation. So Sheikh Ibn Thaymeen, Sheikh Al-Albani, Sheikh Bin Baz, Sheikh Muqbil, Sheikh Rabi' Sheikh Al-Fawzan, Sheikh Al-Luhidan, Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Al-Abbad, they will speak with the speech of Ibn Taymiyyah. And they will speak with the speech of the likes of Ahmed Ibn Hanbal and Malik Ibn Anas and Fudayl Ibn Iyad and Sufyan Al-Thawri and Sufyan Ibn Uyayna and Imam Shafi'i. Same language, same speech, same aqidah, same fiqh even. The same understanding of the deen. So the scholars, they are the ones who are the ghuraba. They are the ones who are Ahlul Hadith. They are the ones who are Ahlul Athar. They are the ones who are the Jama'ah. And that's why when Imam Al-Tirmidhi, he mentioned the Hadith of Allah's Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, لا تزال طائفة من أمتي ذاهرين على الحق لا يدرهم من خذلهم ولا من خالفهم حتى يأتي أمر الله وهم على ذلك He said Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam the hadith reported by Muslim that they shall never cease to remain a group of my ummah upon the truth How can they say that we don't know what the same sect is? How does the ummah, how does a group, a ta'ifa ta'ifa means a group How does a group of the ummah of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Remain على الحق ظاهرين or على الحق in a narration mansoorin that they remain manifest upon the truth, apparent upon the truth, aided upon the truth, victorious upon the truth. All these terms. How do they remain that ta'ifa? Prophet said they will never cease to be a group from my ummah manifestly upon the truth. Up until what? Up until the command of Allah comes. Some of the scholars, they say, this refers to the descent of Isa ibn Maryam. That they will remain as such up until Isa ibn Maryam comes. And when Isa ibn Maryam comes, he knows who are the followers of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Because the Mahdi will be there. Bin Abdullah. Muhammad bin Abdullah, he will be there. When Isa descends on the wings of two angels. So up until the Amr of Allah comes, the command of Allah comes, they will remain in every single era and generation. They will never cease to remain. So who are they? Tablighis, Ikhwanis, Takfiris, Khawarij, Isis, Qaida, Diobandiya. Who are they? If it is not the people of Hadith and Salafiya. Because they are the only ones who are calling to a return to the Kitab and the Sunnah upon the understanding of the Sahaba and the rejection of everything besides that. Anything that opposes that, لا يضرهم من خذلهم ولا من خالفهم They will remain manifest upon the truth and they are not harmed by those who betray them nor by those who differ with them. So they are the ones who return back. How do we know that that is the return? 
Due to that which the Prophet sallallahu said, I've left you upon clear proof. It's night, it's like it's day and no one strays from it except that he's destroyed. So destruction lies in what? Opposing that which the Prophet ﷺ left us upon of clear proof. Salvation lies in holding on to that. And this is why Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal said in those, in the beginning of those famous lines of his Usulu Sunnah, Usulu Sunnati indana attamassaku bima kana alayhi ashabu Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wal iqtidau bihim wa tarkul bid'a wa kullu bid'atin fahiyya dalala. Right to the beginning of his explanation of the sunnah the explanation of the usul the foundations and the principles of that which the prophet ﷺ was upon what did he say that the foundations of the sunnah with us is to hold fast to that which the companions were upon of muhammad ﷺ, and to take them as the model to be emulated they're the model to be emulated and to abandon innovation so if you take them as a model and they are to be followed and to abandon innovation what does that tell you about innovations the innovations are something that the companions were not upon because he's commanding you imam ahmed that the usul of the sunnah with us is to follow them emulate them take them as an example and to abandon innovations why because they were not upon innovations the sahaba did not practice innovation they were not upon bid'ah or deviation or misguidance that's why the sahaba remained united even in their own time of differing that they had between them, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala overlook them and forgive them and forgive us. That those Sahaba radiallahu anhum still remain steadfast, radiallahu anhum, because their aqidah was one. And whatever occurred of differences between them, then you find that the scholars they say, and the Sahaba themselves they say, that the munafiqeen came to cause rifts. Even that between two brothers and two Muslims who would come and cause them to divide one from another or cause them to become angry with another except one who was afflicted by the, by, by the illness of shaitan like Abdullah ibn Sab'ah that led to the killing of Uthman radiallahu anhu and alhamdulillah even in the killing of Uthman no sahabi was involved no Sahabi. In fact, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, they insisted, Ya Uthman, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, let us protect your home. He said, no. They said, no, let us protect your home. He said, no. He wouldn't allow them. He wouldn't allow the Sahaba. And eventually, he was killed and he was assassinated. By whom? By the Khawarij. By the Khawarij. This is where the fitna began with them. However, going back to the issue, when the Muslims, they return back to Islam as he was practicing the time of the messenger and his companions, then Allah will return them and return to them their honor and remove their oppression and establish justice. But whilst this opposition to the Quran and Sunnah remains amongst their Muslims, then the blood of the Muslims and the land of the Muslims and the property of the Muslims will be violated by other nations. Thawban radiallahu anhu narrated that the Prophet sallallahu said, the nations are about to invite one another and come upon you. Rasulullah telling his Sahaba. The nations are about to invite one another and come upon you just as one is invited to eat from a dish. So someone said to the Messenger of Allah, فَقَالَ قَائِلْ وَمِنْ قِلَّةٍ نَحْنُ يَوْمَ إِذِنْ 
Is that because we will be small in number on that day? So the Prophet said, Bal antum Rather upon that day, you will be numerous in number. But you'll be like the scourge, like the scourge that is carried upon the flood water. And Allah will remove the fear from your from fear. Your enemies once had in their hearts for you. And Allah will throw the weakness into your hearts. Allah will throw this wahm or this weakness into your hearts. Because the kuffar, the enemies of Islam, who wanted to see Islam annihilated and destroyed, by the time the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam had conquered Mecca and the various lands and the various cities and the people entered into Islam, the kuffar who held enmity in their hearts and they wanted to attack the Muslims, they couldn't do it. Because Allah instilled into their hearts a fear of the Muslims. So the Prophet said, So Allah will remove the fear your enemies once had in their hearts for you, and He will throw weakness into your hearts. They said to the Messenger of Allah, What is this weakness? He said, Hubbud dunya wa karahiyatul maut. He said, It is the love of this world and it is the dislike of death. The hadith reported by Abu Dawood and it is authentic. So the non-Muslims that they invite each other, isn't that happening today? They invite each other. But it is these demonstrators and these khawarij and these rafida that open the doors to them. Who marches in the streets? The butcher, the baker, the tailor, the car mechanic. Huh? They're the ones, the street sweep and the teacher. They're the ones who are behind them sitting in their apartments, tweeting and Facebooking and sending messages and encouraging more people to go on the streets. So they sit in their homes and they incite the people to march in the streets. So who dies first? The baker, the shopkeeper, the street sweeper, uh, the school teacher, the dinner lady. They're the ones who get shot first. Where are they sitting? They're sitting in their homes, still on their social media. And who's rejoicing? The enemy nations are rejoicing at the fact that the Muslims again, the Muslims again are in turmoil. What did they achieve? Where are they now? The same Yasir Qadi and the same individuals who were screaming and shouting that he brings joy to my heart. That he brings happiness to my heart that we see these Muslims mar marching in the streets for seeking social justice. Easy for you to say, sitting in the US. Are you on the front line with those women and men that you've sent to their slaughter? What have they achieved in 10 years? Syria, Egypt. What have they achieved? Iraq and other places. Wallahi ya ikhwan. Any methodology, any means of revival or rectification of this ummah that is not rooted in the, in the kitab and the sunnah is doomed to for failure. It is doomed to fail. It will not bear its fruits. So the rectification of the ummah, my brothers and sisters, is not open to one's own intellectual reasoning or his own ishtihad. 
that they say the islah of the ummah is an amr ijtihadi. It is not ijtihadi. It is not open to your own reasoning. Well, I think and I think. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, did not die until he had even informed his companions about a bird that flaps its wings in the sky. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu anhu he said not a bird flaps its wings in the sky except that the Messenger of Allah gave us some knowledge concerning it before he died. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, told you what to do with your child on the seventh day. Did he not? What do you do? What do you do? Shave the head, right? What else? Name the child. What else? Circumcision. What else? Aqiqah. That's you and your one baby. Nothing to do with the rest of the ummah. What you are supposed to do with your child. But he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, didn't tell us something that would call the, cause the annihilation of whole nations. So he told you what to do on the seventh day of your baby. And he told you, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when the sahaba saw him making tahniq, squashing a grape, chewing on it, and putting it under the lip of the newborn baby. So the Prophet ﷺ even informed them of that. The Prophet ﷺ told you what dua to make before having intimate relations with your wife. But he didn't tell you what to do when the enemies attack and the Muslims are in turmoil and they differ and killing occurs and darkness comes upon the ummah. He didn't tell you that. How is that even possible that a person would claim that? We don't know what to do, so we're going to invent it. The rectification, the islah of the ummah is not upon intellectual reasoning, personal ishtihad, imitating ideologies that are foreign to Islam, whether it be communism, socialism, liberalism, or whatever other ism. These things are not the place to go when you're talking about rectification of the ummah. In fact, much of these ideologies have been tried in the Muslim lands. Marxism has been tried. Baathism has been tried. Liberalism has been tried. Some of the ideologies of Ikhwan al-Muflisin, the followers of Hassan al-Banna and Sayyid Qutb have been tried. What did they do? Open the door, for, open the door of Egypt to the Rafida to come and march in the streets on the days of Ashura cursing the Sahaba. That's what Ikhwan brought to Egypt. That was their contribution of Islam to the land of Egypt after Husni Mubarak. MashaAllah. So what did you bring of benefits? And even that didn't last. What did you bring of benefits? Wallahi ya ikhwan, all of these ideologies alien to Islam, all they do is that they bring about failure. And they perpetuate upon the Muslims the hardships. That's why you have to just, just look at Palestine. What's changed? In fact, they were better off in 1949 than they are today. They were better off pre-1967 before the, before the war than they are today. They were better off. They had more land. Jerusalem was theirs. So what have they gained? All of this striving. With all of this haraki manhaj. Political agitation. Suicide bombings. Ignoring Sheikh Al-Albani's advice, ignoring Sheikh Ibn advice, ignoring the advice of the scholars of Sunnah and Hadith and Salafiyyah. Where have you got to? One more push? Where did that get you? One more intifada? Where did that get you? Throwing stones at tanks. 
so that they turn around and blow up Muslim schools. Where did that get you? When something is going wrong, you don't do more of the same that is wrong. You go back to the ulama of sunnah. You ask yourself, which ulama of the sunnah have been, have been consistent generation after generation, decade after decade, if it is not the scholars of sunnah and salafiyyah? In all of these affairs, in all of these affairs, barakallahu feekum. The methodology of the companions is the methodology that will save this ummah. Imam Malik ibn Anas, rahimahullahu ta'ala, he said that the latter part of this ummah will never be rectified except that which rectified its first part. So whatever was not religion then cannot be considered as religion today. So what will rectify the latter part of this ummah? That which rectified the early part. That which rectified the, the, the era in Mecca and then the era in Medina and what the Prophet ﷺ commanded. And this is proven. The statement of Imam Malik that is established upon him by Qadi Iyad in Ash-Shifa. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah mentioned that it is authentic. Ash-Shati bin al-Ihtisam that the latter part of this ummah will not be rectified except that which rectified its first part. And whatever was not religion then cannot be considered to be religion today. Imam Malik said that and he died in 179 after the Hijrah. This is a man in the second century of Al-Islam telling the people of the second century no rectification will occur except if we go back to, the, to, to how it was in the time of the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba. Irbad ibn Sariya radiallahu anhu he narrated something similar from Rasulullah. وَأَذْنَى رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ مَوْعِذَةً ذَرَفَتْ مِنْهَا الْعِيُونَ وَوَجِلَتْ مِنْهَا الْقُلُوبِ فَقُلْنَا يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ إِنَّ هَذِهِ لَمَوْعِذَةُ مُوَدِّعٍ فَمَاذَا تَعْهُدُوا إِلَيْنَا He said that Allah's Messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم delivered to us an admonition that caused our eyes to shed tears and our hearts to tremble. So we said, O Messenger of Allah, this was surely a farewell admonition you're about to leave us so what do you enjoin upon us so he replied sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qad taraktukum ala al-bayda layluha ka nahariha la yazigu anha ba'di illa halik that I've left you upon clear proof it's night is like it's day and no one strays from it except that he is destroyed illa halik he is destroyed if he leaves the path of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. How many people have left his path? How many people are looking for other means of rectification? How many people are following? And they think that they're going to change the ummah. And they have left his path. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi said, No one deviates from that which I've left you upon except that he is destroyed. What more proof do they want? Then he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Man Yaish Minkum Fasayara Ikhtilaf and Kathira, Fa'alaikum Bima Araftum Min Sunnati, Wasunnati Il Khulafa Al Rashid, Khulafa Il Rashidin Al Mahdiin, Abdu Alayha bin Nawajit, Wa Alaikum Bitta'a, Wa in Abdan Habashiyan, Fa'inna Malmutmen Kal Jamal Il Anif, Jamal Il Anif, Haythum Akidan Qada. He said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, 
those who are among you today that live for long, then they will see a great amount of differing and controversy. So you must cling to whatever you know of my sunnah and the sunnah of the khulafa, meaning Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali. Abdu alayha bin Nawajid, bite onto that with your molar teeth. And it is upon you to show obedience to the ruler, even if he be an Abyssinian slave. For indeed the believer is like a subservient camel. He goes wherever he is led, meaning by the truth. This is the believer. He doesn't say, well, I don't like that ruler, and I don't like that ruler. He's a tyrant, he's an oppressor, he's this. He says, whatever the sunnah tells me, that's where I'm going. Why? Because he is like a subservient camel. Wherever the truth takes him, he goes with the truth. The hadith, this hadith, by the way, reported by Ibn Majah, and it is sahih. And they were the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, khairun nas qarni. They were the best of mankind, as the Prophet said in a narration. He, he was asked, Ya Rasulullah, who are the best of mankind? He said, Ana walladina ma'i. Me and those who are with me. We're the best. This is not a boast, it's a fact. It is a fact that he and his companions, that he is the best, and those who are with him, the companions. Then those who follow that athar, follow that path. And then those who follow that path. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said, when the Prophet said, the best of mankind is my generation. Then those who come after them, then those who come after them. He said, I don't know whether he said it three times or four times, which would encompass the first four generations. So where did they begin? Because now we know. We can talk about the suffering in any nation. And we would not stop. It would not even stop by Isha. Or by Fajr tomorrow. Or by Fajr the day after. If we just listed the atrocities committed against the Muslims. Men, women and children. Just, you know, over the last year. That speech would not stop. But that's not the issue. The real issue is, how do we stop the oppression? How do the Muslims rectify? How do the Muslims gain their honor and glory? They have to go back to the manhaj of the Anbiya. Whatever the Messenger command, whatever Allah commanded the Prophets to do, we have to do it. So where did the Prophets begin their rectification? They began with Tawheed. They didn't begin with Jihad or fighting or taking money from this one and establishing a government over there and replacing government over there. This, none of the Anbiya came with this. Every prophet and messenger came with what? With Tawheed. And we sent to every nation a messenger calling them to the worship of Allah alone and to abandon the false deities. لَقَدْ أَرْسَلْنَا نُوحًا إِلَىٰ قَوْمِهِ فَقَالَ يَا قَوْمِ اعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مَا لَكُمْ مِنْ إِلَٰهٍ غَيْرُهُ he said, Nuh when Allah sent him to his people. Allah said, and we sent Nuh to his qawm, to his people. So he said to them, oh my people, worship Allah. Where did he begin? Worship Allah. You have nothing worthy of worship other than him. Regarding the other prophets such as Hud alayhi salam. Wa ila adin akhahum huda. Qala ya qawmi ibudullaha ma lakum min ilahin ghayru. Afala tattaqoon. And to the people of Ad, we sent their brother Hud. And he said to them, O oh my people, worship Allah, for you have nothing worthy of worship other than him. Likewise, Salih to Madian and others. Oh, uh, Afwan. Shu'ayb to, to, to Madian and others. 
That those prophets would go to their people, Saleh would go to the people, to Thamud, and the prophet would go to his people and he would say the same thing. What would he say to them? Oh my people, you have nothing or none that has the there is none. Worship Allah and you have and for there is none worthy of worship other than Him. Then we have them. So this is the prophets and the messengers. So this is the starting point of rectification. Call them to the worship of Allah, not to the worship of graves, not to superstitious beliefs, not to fortune tellers, not to soothsayers, not to building shrines over graves and making tawaf around them. Tawaf is only allowed in one place upon this earth. Where is it? Kaaba. The Baytullah. That is the only place, meaning the Kaaba, that is the only place where Tawaf is allowed. Nowhere else. Sa'i. Only between Safa and Marwa. There is no Sa'i between this mosque and that mosque in India. Or this grave and that grave in Pakistan. Or this grave and that grave in Iraq. Or in Baghdad. Or at Najaf. Or at Karbala. Or in Egypt. At the grave of Ahmed al-Badawi. Or the grave of the Qadir al-Jilani. Tawaf is at the house of Allah. Nowhere else. Sajda is for Allah in the direction of the Qibla. Not the grave. So when the people are called to the Tawheed of Allah, to the worship of Allah, they have to abandon the worship of everything besides Allah. All superstitious beliefs, all false ideas about the names and attributes of Allah, such as the Jahmiyyah, and the Mujassima, and the Mumathila, and the Mu'attila, and the Asha'ira, all of those ideologies that either resemble Allah to the creation or those ideologies that remove and they negate from Allah His names and attributes. So we affirm for Allah what Allah has affirmed for Himself. This is from the Tawheed of Asma wa Sifat. And we do not deny the attributes of Allah nor the names of Allah. When Mu'ad bin Jabal was sent to Yemen by the Prophet ﷺ, the same message that Allah sent the prophets and messengers with, Mu'ad bin Jabal was sent by Rasulullah to Yemen with the same message. He said, uh, uh, Abdullah ibn Abbas, he said, لَمَّا بَعْثَ نَبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ مُعَادًا نَحْوَ نَحْوَ الْيَمَنِ قَالَ لَهُ إِنَّكَ تَقْدَمُ عَلَى قَوْمٍ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ فَلْيَكُنْ أَوَّلَ مَا تَدْعُوهُمْ إِلَى أَنْ يُوَحِّدُ اللَّهَ تَعَالَى same message. He said to him, O oh Mu'ad, I'm sending you to a people from Ahlul Kitab. So invite them first and foremost to the worship of Allah. And Allah Ta'ala. That they single out Allah alone with worship. If they acknowledge that from you, then tell them. And inform them that Allah has obligated the five daily prayers in the night and the day. And then he moved on to zakat and so on. So this is what the Prophet ﷺ commanded him with. So what do we understand from that? That the religion has priorities, right? In fact, the religion has many essential matters. It is essential to fast. It is essential to perform hajj. It is essential to pray. It is essential with all of these matters that are important in Islam. But where do you begin? Is that open to ishtihad? Where do I begin my da'wah? Is that open to my aql? To ijtihad? No, you begin where the prophets began. Manhaj al-anbiya. 
methodology of the Prophet. That's why Shaykh Rabia wrote that book because the Ummah doesn't pay attention, or much of the Ummah doesn't pay attention. Manhaj al Anbiya fi da'wati ilallah, the methodology of the Prophet in calling to Allah. So Shaykh Rabi is reminding them in a 200 page book. Where did the prophets begin? That's where you're supposed to begin. Where did the Sahaba begin? That's where you're supposed to begin. What's wrong with you? The starting point is not politics. The starting point is not the rulers. The starting point is certainly not provoking the rulers against you. Because that's a bid'ah anyway. To rebel against the rulers and to provoke them. And to incite the people against them by marching or bombing or killing or assassinating. and so All of that is bid'ah. All of that is deviation. Because if it was something allowed, you would find it in the Sunnah of Allah's Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Rather, Prophet sallam said to his Sahaba, radiyallahu anhum, even if they beat you in your back and they take your wealth and they take and they choose someone else to prefer over you, even though you are more deserving, still hear them and obey them. So, if the Sahaba had to hear and obey a tyrant, you don't have to. If the Sahaba would have to take a beating in his back from a tyrant, you don't have to. Why? You're better than them. Or you have a deen better than their deen? What is it that the Khawarij have that the Sahaba did not have? Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sent Mu'adh bin Jabal and he sent the other Sahaba radiallahu anhum because this religion, yes, they are essential matters. There are many things that are obligatory upon us. They are those which are the pillars of Islam, the pillars of Iman. And within those, each of those acts among the pillars of Islam, such as the, 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 the fasting or the, or the prayer and the, and, and the zakah and the fasting and the hajj, within them there are rules and regulations. Within them there are pillars and there are wajibat, there are, there are uh, pillars and then there are obligations and there are sunan that we need to know. Essentials and important matters. But where do we begin? All of this is in front of you now. Kitab and the whole volume or the whole, you know, the, 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 the vastness of the sunnah. Where do you begin? You begin where Mu'adh bin Jabal began because that's what the Prophet told him. Begin with Tawheed. Explain to them Tawheed. If they have any doubts, clarify those doubts. Teach them Tawheed. Teach them that which will violate Tawheed. Look at those who went with, to Hunayn. Abu Waqid al-Layti radiallahu anhu. He said we had, newly left, we had newly left Kufr and entered into Islam and we were on our way to Hunayn. Alongside the Battle of Hunayn, and this is a lesson for the Khawarij also, that the Prophet sought the aid of the Mushrikeen. The Mushriks and the Muslims were together. And they were going against the people of uh, the, 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 the Battle of Hunayn, where they encountered the enemy of the Muslims. So Abu Waqid, he saw that the Mushrikeen had a tree. And on their tree, they used to hang their swords and their weapons and they used to make i'tikaf at the tree and they used to seek blessings for their weapons from the tree and they called it that and what so they said to rasulullah ya rasulullah why do you make for us a tree like they have a tree now these people are muwahidun sahaba are people of tawhid but they are new this group of sahaba were very new to islam so they saw something and the Prophet ﷺ immediately closed the door. He said, Allahu Akbar. You have said, exact, you have said, like 
what the children of uh, what the what the people of Musa said to Musa alayhi salam make for us an idol just like they have an idol so the prophet sallallahu closed the door that this is not allowed this is shirk this is like idolatry so discuss for shubahat this uncovering the doubts and opening the doubts so that a person does not doubt what is tawheed that's why you have kitab tawheed of shaykh al-islam muhammad bin abdul wahab rahimahullah and why you have books that were before his era also and the hadith of allah's messenger and the tafsir of those ayat of tawheed from the likes of imam al-tabari and ibn kathir and others explaining the affair of tawheed so that the people are invited to tawheed first and foremost they understand their duty to allah that they submit to Allah with obedience and they follow the messenger of Allah وسلم, and they make mutaba of him say to them O Prophet if you truly love Allah then follow me and Allah will love you and he will forgive you your sins so now they know if we earn the love of Allah are we not going to be victorious Allah loves someone but he doesn't aid him course so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala aids and as for those who stand at the gates of Jahannam and they call to revolution or they call to political agitation or they call to ideologies alien to Islam or they call to the ideologies of the philosophers such as Plato and others then this is all foreign to Islam and we are not in need of it we are not in need of Western liberalism and they're forcing their ideology upon the Muslim lands. We are not in need of socialism and these types of ideologies. Islam has a unique methodology. Islam, has a, Islam is a unique religion that Allah sent down to all of the prophets and messengers. What could be better than that for rectification? So those who stand at the doors and at the gates of Jahannam, don't answer their call. Don't listen to those who say, well, I love the Tablighi and I love the Diobandi and I love the Rafidi and I love the Shi'i and I love the Khariji and I love the Ikhwan. That's what they say. But he didn't say that about the Salafi. In all of his diatribe, he didn't say that I love the Salafi. Rather, he said, he attacked Shaykh al-Islam Muhammad bin Abdul Wahab, accused him of something that he was innocent of. And then he lists all the people that he loves. And none of those people included the Salafi. No problem, we knew that anyway. Because it's true that the people of Haq, that they are few in number. Alhamdulillah, this masjid is packed today. But in general, they are normally few in number. Because they are one out of 73. It is one path out of all of the divergent paths. They are few. They are Ghuraba. They are not called Ghuraba for nothing. They are not, they are not Nuzza for nothing they are not just individuals plucked from each of the nations and tribes for nothing it's because they are few because holding on to this truth we don't say it is hard because it is not hard the messenger Allah, said that the most beloved religion the most beloved religion to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the religion it is the simple easy going tawheed of Allah this is the most beloved religion to Allah, and this is Islam. But it means that you have to stick to the Kitab and the Sunnah. So in finality, this rectification that Imam Malik spoke about, this return to the Kitab and the Sunnah that Rasulullah spoke about, 
that is established without a shadow of a doubt in the revelation is mentioned in one ayah of the Quran wherein Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has stated in Surah An-Nur ayah number 55 in these words that Allah has promised those among you who believe and do righteous deeds that he will certainly grant them succession in the earth just as he granted it to those who came before them and he will grant them the authority to practice their religion of Islam that which he has chosen for them and he will surely give them safety and security after, he, after they had lived in fear so long as they worship me and they do not associate anything in worship with me but whomsoever disbelieves after this then they are the ones who are disobedient to Allah this my brothers and sisters is the precise and true methodology established by Allah in rectification of the affairs of the Muslims these are the words of Allah from the book of Allah so what is this rectification number one that you establish the belief first for those among you who believe meaning that your aqidah is sound the aqidah as it was in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu and his Sahaba. Number two, that you work righteous deeds. Righteous deeds have two conditions. Ikhlas, that it must be done. With ikhlas for Allah, sincerely for Allah. And secondly, mutaba'ah of the Rasul. Following the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Thirdly, that Allah will establish the Muslims. And based upon that, that Allah will establish the Muslims and give them victory and safety so long as they what so long as they worship him alone and they associate none alongside him in worship this is the means of rectification and there is no other way there were several more pages but i'm not going to continue them now inshallah but save yourselves first and foremost begin with yourselves and your families just as Allah has said, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu qu anfusakum wa ahlikum nara wa quuduhan nasu wal hijara. O you who believe, save yourselves and your families from the fire. That's where it begins. Don't point fingers 7,000 miles away or 3,000 miles away. What's this ruler doing? What did he have for breakfast? Who did he meet tomorrow? Where did he make the next treaty? What was he doing in Geneva? What was he doing at the UN? That's not where you begin. In fact, that's not even where you end. This is not your affair. Your affair is that you begin with yourself yourself your family your relatives and that is based upon ilm qul hadhihi sabili ad'u ila allah ala basiratin ana wa man ittaba'ani Allah's messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam said say to them o prophet this is my path and i invite unto allah with sure knowledge so you call your family your relatives your neighbors your colleagues upon ilm, not upon jahl not upon the ignorance of the people what, what they do in, and, and they end up killing themselves and killing others 
because of jahl and ignorance. The cure to ignorance is asking. Ask. Say, this is my path. Say to them, O Muhammad, this is my path. And I invite to Allah with sure knowledge. I and whosoever follows me. Who followed him? Sahaba. Who followed the Sahaba? People of Hadith. The Salafis. Allah. 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 Allah.